morning. So our intention with this is twofold. Number one, to provide uh, structured time every day, same time, Monday through Friday, uh, 10 minutes of learning at 9 a.m. We will make it available so people can listen to it during the day. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do that, but I'll figure that out a little bit later and, and let everyone know. And also, the goal is to try to recreate the feeling of being at a daf at the morning davening and breakfast that follows. Um, around the table at breakfast after davening, we learn for a few minutes and it's informal and it's uh, different subjects every day. And um, it's a really good atmosphere. And so though we cannot physically be together, we at least want to try to recreate that learning. So that's the idea. Uh, just a few minutes every day, 9 a.m. And uh, we hope to continue this and make it available. And certainly if you have any suggestions about topics you want covered, please let me know. We talk about the Parsha. We talk about current events. We talk about halachic issues. Uh, just kind of anything that's going on, we try to cover. So let me start with today. So today is Sunday. This week's Parsha is the Parsha of Tazria Matsora. Incidental to the beginning of the Parsha is the mitzvah of bris milah. And the Torah says, Ashmini, on the eighth day of a child's life, you should uh, have a bris to remove the arla, the extra piece of skin that is removed in a bris. Now, the truth is that this Pusik is a little bit um, ancillary to the topic that's being discussed in the Parsha, but it is a repetition of the mitzvah of bris milah. And though the Torah nowhere gives a reason for why a bris is supposed to be on the eighth day, the commentators offer a number of suggestions. And one of the suggestions that's made in the, in the Midrash and in the Gemara, it's a Gemara in the Sefer Shabbos, um, that relates to this Pasuk is simply to say that uh, you want to have the bris at a time when both the father and mother are able to participate and to be joyous and to be happy and that it should be a simcha. And if it was earlier than the eighth day, due to the details of the beginning of our parsha, not everybody would be able to participate, participate with joy. I just want to point out that that goal of everyone being able to participate with joy at a bris uh, faces uh, obvious challenges today. And due to coronavirus, uh, due to social distancing, there are uh, questions that have come up and uh, difficulties and uh, often with, with no easy answer. So I just want to very briefly uh, summarize some of the discussions. The first is, obviously, if a bris is going to take place, it needs to take place with the most amount of social distancing that's possible. So usually, if there is a bris, you would only have the baby, the mohel, and the parents. And uh, very often today, everybody else would participate through Zoom. So you can show it on Zoom and everybody can watch. Reversal Shaku was asked the following question. What if you have a bris like this and you have just the parents, the mohel, and the baby, and you have everybody else on Zoom? What about having somebody on Zoom say the brachos? 
it's uh, traditional to uh, distribute the blessings, the brachos, and Kriyashem, the prayer that gives the name to the new baby, to distribute that to different people. It could be rabbis, it could be family members, and of course, in this situation, they're going to be in different places. So uh, could you have somebody remotely say one of those parts of the, of the bris? Sir so Shakra says, and this is um, uh, relatively uh, intuitive and mainstream in uh, systematic in terms of other halakhas as well, that a person on Zoom is not halakhically considered to be in the same place. That's why according to halakha, 10 people that gather on Zoom do not uh, create an actual technical um, uh, minyan, for example. And therefore, if the bracha, the blessing, has to be said in the proximity to the baby where the bris is being done, having someone on Zoom saying the bracha would not be okay. So that would not be okay. Someone who is physically present has to say the blessings. But Rav Shachter does say it would be fine to have a person remotely say the Kriya Shem, to give the name, because the paragraph where we give the name is, first of all, it's not required. That it's not a necessary part of the bris. It's our custom to do it at the bris, but it's not a necessary part. And it's also not a necessary part to say any specific prayer about it. A person could simply start to use a name and that is their name. It is our custom to have a beautiful prayer about giving the name. And we call that the paragraph of, of Kriya Shem. But Rav Shakta says there would be nothing wrong with a person who is remote on Zoom to say that paragraph of giving the name and that would be a nice honor to someone remotely, even if they're not there. The more difficult problem today is the possibility of a lack of safety. First of all, um, what about the mohel? Mohel usually will come to the home before the bris to check on the baby and then come for the bris and then come after the bris to check and see how the baby is recovering. That's three trips for a stranger uh, to come into someone's house and to be doing things that are quite intimate. It's a medical type uh, procedure. So first of all, you have the question of the health of the Moel. Does the Moel put himself at greater risk by doing this procedure? And if so, is he required to do so? And then what about the family? What about the baby? What about the danger of them being infected? So obviously it goes without saying that any bris that is going to take place has to take place with the greatest of precautions, of personal protection, um, of, um, and a mohel generally is someone who is trained in that kind of, uh, those kinds of protections and in what is, after all, a medical procedure. Of course, it is for us a very superlative spiritual procedure, but it is also a medical procedure, and a mohel has training in that. Um, so, even with that, though, even with those precautions, in an ideal world, it would make sense for everybody to be tested for the virus uh, on a regular basis in an ideal world, uh, beforehand and during and after, and especially for a Moel, uh, maybe every day that he should be tested to make sure that, in fact, that he does not have the virus. Of course, that is not currently possible. And uh, I know of Moalim who have tried to be tested and have given as the reason 
their need to perform this uh, religious rite. And so far here in Montreal, they have, to the best of my knowledge, not been able uh, to do that, which I understand the reasoning, um, but, um, but that would be the ideal, but it's not possible. You should know that there are some places in Europe that have banned brismila, ritual circumcision, temporarily while this is going on. And of course, the laws of bris itself allow for a bris to be delayed, even for a doubt about a possibility of elevated risk to the baby, even remote. Uh, now we know that a bris overrides the laws of Shabbos. A bris takes place even on Shabbos, even though normally making an incision would be prohibited on Shabbos, but a bris takes place on Shabbos. However, a bris is set aside even for a very remote health risk. For example, uh, there are many conditions, there are a number of conditions that a baby can have. Um, for example, physiological jaundice. So that's when the baby is a little bit yellow, but there is no underlying uh, serious medical condition. And the general practice of a moel is to wait a certain number of days to delay past the eighth day, even though the mitzvah is to do the bris on the eighth day. But even in this remote case, even today when most doctors will say that this kind of physiological jaundice without any underlying serious condition is really not a health issue and the bris could go on, but most Moalim have the tradition that they would still wait and they would still delay. Uh, our, our rabbis in the Talmud tell us that during most of the 40 years in the desert, the Jewish people did not perform the mitzvah bris milah, which is, sounds quite astounding. They had just been commanded they did it in Mitzrayim. How, how come they didn't keep up with it? And the Gemara explains because it, the possibility that if Hashem would say it's time to travel on the day after a baby's bris, uh, traveling might be a danger to the baby. Now, that's very interesting because we know that m most of the time during the 38 years, but during 38 of the 40 years that the Jews traveled through the desert, they were only in a couple of locations, which means they spent years in the same place. And that means that at every single day, the possibility that they were going to have to actually start traveling, they never knew in advance, that's true. But the probability was extremely, extremely low. It could have been one in a thousand, literally one in a thousand. And yet, uh, in general, bris milah was not practiced because of the possibility that if they would be called upon by Hashem to travel, it might cause some elevated risk to the baby. So there certainly is precedent for delaying a bris for a health reason. Now, obviously, this has to be dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, it seems clear to me that if the government or doctors advise that the bris should be delayed, of course, it should be delayed. Otherwise, if the bris is going to continue, it should proceed with full caution, with full precautions, and with all medical input to make sure that it's being done as uh, safely as humanly possible. Hopefully soon, we will get back with, to the intent of our Pusik, where our Pusik wants to make sure that when a bris takes place, both the father can be joyous, the mother can be joyous, and everybody can be joyous 
maybe not the baby so much, but at least everybody else should be able to mark this as a time of joy. Have a wonderful day. It's great to see you all. 